My grandma had a rescue dog. The other day she slipped and fell over and the so-called rescue dog just sat there and did nothing. The so-called rescue dog just sat there and did nothing. Okay, you'll get it later, don't worry. <laughs> okay, so I decided to collect jokes that are hard to get. Jokes that take a minute, right? Let me tell you a few more. Why is, uh, no, so, so why is Rene Descartes considered a great thinker? Because he is. I think, therefore I am, right? Why is he considered a great thinker? Because he is. Eh, all right, this is going real well. <laughs> and the award for best neckwear goes to, well, would you look at that? It's a tie. Oh, that one landed. Okay. <laughs> How about this one? Hey, thanks for defining the word many for me. It means a lot. Okay, I've, I had to lower the bar a little bit, didn't I? <laughs> All right, this one might be a challenge too. Maybe there's a little bit of generational going on here too, but it's a visual. I'm just going to let you look at this for a second. <laughs> Assuming my iPad works on the screen. There we go. Hey, buddy. Okay, I'll let you off the hook. It's the priests from The Exorcist holding the equipment from Ghostbusters. <laughs> Ghostbusters and the exorcist priests, right? Okay, yeah, jokes that take a minute to get. <laughs> and I think that's a good metaphor, actually, for what we're talking about today. Uh, you, today is the last day. We're finishing up this series uh, called When Jesus Spoke to Crowds, What Did He Say? And the whole premise is that we know Jesus went from place to place teaching for most of his ministry, uh, but there wasn't exactly video footage in the first century, and there was nobody there to write down every word. And so what happened was the gospel writers went around and collected what uh, the people's memories. They said, well, what did he say when he was in your town? What did he say over there? What do you remember? And then the gospel writers collected it and recreated the experience. So what we really have is a compilation of what he said in many places, but it means we get to hear him teach too. Now, of course, most of the gospels are the same thing, but this uh, section called the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, is recreating that experience of what he said when he taught. And it's some of the, some of the deepest and richest of Jesus's, Jesus's teachings and his moral teachings especially. It begins, and if you missed any of these, you can go back on our website or the podcast and pick them up, by the way. But it begins with the Beatitudes, as they're usually called. And it's this beautiful vision and kind of surprising vision of what life in God's kingdom looks like. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the peacemakers. Maybe that one's not so surprising. Uh, and it inspires us. And then Jesus says that you are to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And to me, those always seems like opposites because the salt is supposed to disappear into the meat. It adds flavor. It acts as a preservative, among other things, but it also disappears and is tiny and silent. Yet at the same time, we're supposed to let God's light shine. He says, who would, put, who would light a lamp and put it under a basket? No, you put it on a stand for all to see. Then, he then Jesus talks about how we get there. He talks about living well, living morally, doing the right thing. 
You know, uh, everybody knows it's wrong to murder, but it's also wrong to be angry, to judge one another. He talks about the right way to worship God, that when we make church about us, we've missed the point. Um, and he talks about worry. In fact, it's interesting that worry was as much of a problem 2,000 years ago as it is for us to today. But today is kind of a collection of sayings of his right at the end of the sermon. And it's broad. You know, it's several different topics. And I'm going to go over it here in a minute. But I think they all might fall under the category of heaven. And so that's what I want to take up today. Now, if you asked me what Christianity, the religion of Jesus, you know, us who are following what Jesus taught, if you were to ask me what it was all about, this is what I would say, and I would say it with a Venn diagram because that's how I roll. So let's do this. I promised you Venn diagrams, and here they are. This is the most boring Venn diagram in all of history. <laughs> But it's a picture of how God created the world. What you see are two circles that are completely overlapping. In fact, so much so that even though the circles have their own colors, because they're completely overlapping, you can't even tell. Earth and heaven as one. Now, marriage is the perfect metaphor for this, and it's the one that Jesus uses over and over, too. You know, both people in a marriage retain their individuality. They are both the same, the, the people that they were. Yet, when they come together, they also create something new and fantastic, fantastic and life-giving. Now, Buddhists would call this nirvana. Self-help authors might call it your best self. Atheists and agnostics would call this the best version of humanity. We Christians call this Eden. We tell it with a story, the story of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden when God walked among the people and God and the people lived together in perfect harmony. You know, again, different things, God and humanity, but living together, completely overlapping. There was peace. There was acceptance. But we all know what happened next, right? The Venn diagram changed to be like this. The fall, when earth and heaven became completely separate. Uh, now, this is when any pessimists that are among us can do your thing, right? This is the state of humanity. This, this, this is human depravity that you see is one of the words that theologians use sometimes. What we believe, however, is that though this is definitely a reality in the world, that it's not a still picture, <laughs> that God has forever since the beginning been pushing the circles back together. And as they've moved back together, that's what we call the Old Testament. You know, that's the story of the Old Testament of God and, and, and the people uh, pushing back and forth against one another, the people searching, God searching for the people, the two circles so fall up far apart, yet beginning to move back together. And then there was a key moment when the circles first touched. And this happens. Now, do you know what that is? Christmas. That's Jesus, the coming of God into the world. When heaven and earth first met for the first time since the Garden of Eden. We live in what theologians for generations have called the in-between times, where heaven is no longer far away, 
but is in fact available to us here and now. And we know that eventually God's going to move things back to the way they began. But for right now, it's a choice. And we can choose whether to live in it or not. You know, it's funny. One of my uh, seminary professors uh, had a similar diagram, but his wasn't a Venn diagram. I don't know. It was complicated. And so for the rest of the class, we called it life in the trapezoid because that's the color of the, that was the shape of the overlap uh, with that particular professor. It's funny. I showed this to my wife last night and she looked at it and said, hey, that's pretty good. And she said, instead of life in the trapezoid, it's life in the pointy lemon. So there it is, a new phrase for us, life in the pointy lemon, right? Uh, Now this is the in-between times where heaven is available to us. The overlap has begun. Now once Jesus was born but not yet known, John the Baptist came in and said, look, the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is at hand. Yes, it's it's in, in, I don't like the word invading, but the kingdom of heaven is invading the kingdom of earth. They're beginning to overlap. And the circles continue to move. It's both coming and it's here. Another place you see this, uh, one of my favorite quotes, uh, well, Martin Luther King Jr. didn't say it. It was actually a quote that was obscure that he made famous. The arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. This is what he means, that there is still an awful lot of sin and depravity in the world. There is still an awful lot of the world that is living apart from heaven. But every day, heaven invades the earth a little bit more. The overlap becomes more by each moment. And in the meantime, we decide which part of that circle we're going to stand in. Now, if we want to stand way over there, on the left side of the earth circle, the part that's furthest away from heaven, well, that's what Paul called the law of sin and death. But if we stand in the overlap, or at least try to get to the overlap as much as we can, that's what Jesus called living in the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And Jesus himself showed us what it looks like to live fully in that overlap. Here at Trinity, that's what we mean by the phrase fully alive. (laughs) We seek to have those moments where we live in the overlap, where we stand in the pointy lemon, when we have, when we live as much in heaven as we do in earth. Those are those moments that are fully alive in Christ. Now, with this in mind, here, the last part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount Ask and you will receive. Not going to turn us away, is he? Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, whoever seeks find, and to everyone who knocks the door will be open. Who among you would give your children a stone when they ask for bread? Or give them a snake when they ask for fish? If you who, know, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good things to those who ask him? Therefore, you should treat people in the same way that you want people to treat you. You know, living well, living rightly is part of how we live in that overlap. Go in through the narrow gate. Do you see the narrow gate in the diagram? Now, this diagram is a metaphor. You know, theologically, it'll break down eventually. But you can see the narrow gate, can't you? 
Go in through the narrow gate. The gate that leads to destruction is broad and the road wide. So many people enter through it. But the gate that leads to life is narrow and the road difficult. So few people find it. Jesus takes a minute to talk about false prophets. You know, he says, you'll know the false prophets by their fruit. Look at what, look at what good is coming from them. If you see life and, and love and good things coming from what the prophets do, then you know they are real. If not, well, maybe you should find another prophet. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will get into the kingdom of heaven. Only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. This section sounds a lot like what Jesus said before of if you're, if you're hand causes you to sin, you'd be better off chopping it off, right? Kind of that extreme way of teaching to make the point, uh, saying, saying that there is an effort that's required, that it, ultimately it's God's love and God's grace and God's will, but that we have to make some effort too. And then he says, everybody who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise builder who built a house on bedrock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the wind blew and beat against the house, and it didn't fall because it was firmly built on the bedrock. When Jesus finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he was teaching them, with, teaching them like someone with authority and not like their legal experts. I keep going back, though, to the part about the narrow gate. You know, it's kind of like the, all the times that Jesus says, you know, those who have eyes, let them see. Those who have ears, let them hear. And it kind of implies that not everybody is going to see it. That not everybody is going to hear it. At least not at first. Not everybody is going to get the joke. Well, it's not a joke in this case. But not everybody is going to get it. You know, there's a song I like that's built on top of the Beatitudes. Uh, and, and uh, the, you know, the Beatitudes that start out the Sermon on the Mount. And there's a line in that song that has always haunted me. Blessed when you see what your friends can never be. You know, there are times when we have to watch people we love fail to be what they set out to be. When people we care about have moments of weakness and maybe we can help them a little, but we can't help them entirely. Or worst of all, when we see friends and people we love who stop trying. And it makes me wonder what my friends look at me and might be tempted to think, blessed when you see what your friends can never be. The road is hard and not everybody gets it. Certainly not everybody gets it every single moment. I preached a sermon not unlike this at, uh, years ago at a, church, uh, at, a, at a church I was serving. You know, I talked about the in-between times. Now, I'll admit I hadn't come up with the Venn diagram thing yet when I was at that church. <laughs> but it was the same basic sermon. It was the same basic explanation of how we live in the in-between times and how heaven is available to us now if we choose it and that God is bringing it more in every moment. So anyway, I was at this church and I preached the sermon and after church, a man in his 70s came up to me. Now this man uh, was a, a faithful and loyal church member and had been his entire life. He did the right things. He was a, a, a picture of the Christian faith. He'd spent his whole life doing the right things and working for God's kingdom and doing it well. 
Anyway, he came up to me and he said, you know, preacher, what you said to me today reminded me of what one of your predecessors used to say. He had this funny idea, this strange idea that heaven wasn't what happened when you die, but it was something we could have here and now. And you got me thinking about that again. <laughs> he got it. <laughs> he got it. His eyes were open. He'd been living it his whole life. He'd been living it his whole life doing the right things. But maybe for the first time, his eyes were open and he saw what it was he was living. That the kingdom of God was at hand. The gate is narrow and not everybody will find it. But blessed be those whose eyes are open. And therein lies the hope. Because you see, God is moving these circles closer together all the time. That each moment that passes, the circles get closer and together and closer and closer together. The way may be narrow, but God is bringing it more into the world with each passing moment. In other places, Jesus often talks about the kingdom of heaven as a marriage, like I said. And his first miracle was to turn water into wine at a wedding reception. Now, does that remind you of communion when we gather around this table, a marker of the kingdom of heaven? He speaks of the church as the bride and himself as the groom. And he speaks about waiting well because he knows it's hard when so much of the world, when we can see the goal, when we can see what the kingdom of heaven looks like right in front of us, but so much of the world is still living in the law of sin and death. When we can see it in front of us, it's so hard to wait. And so Jesus says, Following one of the wedding traditions of his day, keep your lamps lit. Keep your lamps lit and let the light shine into the darkness and watch for the coming of the groom for Christ. Keep your eyes open, to put it in our language, keep your eyes open for every sign of the coming kingdom of heaven because it is coming. It is here and it is coming. And then the last two chapters of Revelation show us what it will look like when all is complete and the overlap is 100% again, when, Mary, when heaven and earth are fully married. Yeah, in Revelation it uses poetry because our mortal minds can't grasp it even. But there it is. But not everyone is going to get the joke. Not everyone is going to see the connections even if they do the right things. Not everyone is going to recognize the brilliance, but the circle will catch up with them because that's who God is. And in the meantime, we stay awake. In the meantime, we strive to live in the overlap just as much as we can, and we do all that we can to help others to see what we have seen. Advent begins next Sunday. Advent is the season of waiting as we get ready for Christmas, as we prepare our hearts for Christmas. We remember the waiting that happened for thousands of years while the circles were completely apart waiting for the coming of Christ. And even as we remember that wait, we remember our wait as we wait for the work to be complete 
even as we engage our hands in that work ourselves. And so, may you wait with your eyes wide open. And may you wait with tremendous hope because the kingdom of God is at hand. Let us pray. Oh God, this is big stuff that's beyond us. Your kingdom is such that not even a Venn diagram can capture it. And so, Lord, we pray that in addition to using our minds to understand, that you would help us to use our eyes to see, that you would give us experiences of heaven on earth, that our hearts might comprehend what our minds cannot. Thank you for sending Jesus to show us what it looks like. May we learn from his teaching and may we walk with him, with you, God. And may we live in your kingdom just as often as we may. We pray it in Jesus' holy name. Amen.